poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, nestled in the foothills of a mountain range, Greatness Village is the promised land the Chasing Poker Greatness community calls home. Here, you'll find elite teachers, aspiring pros, and primitive tribal warriors who grew tired of their old ways and found a better path. These are the stories of Greatness Village on Chasing Poker Greatness. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today, we have a villager episode, and I am joined by Peter Birmingham. Peter has been a member of Greatness Village, a resident of Greatness Village, for about the past 12 months. Peter's been in the poker world for quite a while has quite the tale to tell. Peter, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks, Brad. Uh, really happy to be here. Funny, funny listening to the intro when I'm when I'm sitting uh, when I'm sitting watching you <laughs> instead of just listening to it in the headphones as normal. But yeah, most of the time the only people that hear me record the intro are my cats because <laughs> I, I do it by myself after afterwards. And I gotta say Intros are really good at calling cats to you because they all just congregate when I'm talking at my computer and drive me batshit crazy. Cats, cats will do that. It's like, it's like if I'm talking to somebody, I'm surprised mine are not scratching at the door, wailing to get into the room at this stage because that's, that's the normal thing that happens when I'm talking to somebody or doing something important. So Yeah, that's just the that, nature of the beast. They're chaos incarnate. Um, <laughs> But we love them. And, you know, we were talking just in the pre-conversation about uh, how you got to be a little different to choose the path of being a professional poker player. And um, I'm pretty sure everybody in the village owns cats. And so, like, I think that, like, little different chaos incarnate, our little familiars that follow us around, that's just how it's got to be for poker players. Yeah, well, I think they, they they do say that smart people choose cats as pets. So that makes sense. Yeah. That's why that's why GJ has a dog. Um, all right, so <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the one exception, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start this out by asking about your story. Tell let's tell the listener and me the story of how you got involved playing cards. Okay, so my. My poker playing days go back to I suppose I've always liked I've always liked games. I've always enjoyed playing games. Um as a kid I used to play a lot of chess with my dad. Um but I suppose then I kinda I kind of gave up on a little because probably through nobody nobody my age played chess. Nobody I knew played chess. Um obviously a very different world than we have now. Um, well, let's wasn't. set the timeline. You know, where, okay, how, how so old are you now? What I'm, year was this? I'm 43 now. So we're talking, we're talking the mid to late, we're talking mid to late 80s now. 
um, coming into the early 90s. And so, country of origin before relocating to, to Greatness Village? <laughs> Ireland. All right. All right. Um, so, yeah, so there was just a, just really a lack of opportunity to sort of, you know, do anything with that or expand on that. Um, what do you mean by that, on that, by the way? Like the chess just wasn't a big thing in Ireland? Like, I mean, there was no, certainly not where I was, certainly not where I lived, was there any sort of chess clubs and like that as well. There wasn't the, we didn't have, like, there was no internet. We had, you couldn't go on and Google a chess club, you know, like, I mean, if you knew of one, you could find it. But if you didn't, it's not like they the first were advertising rule, in the local yeah, papers, you know? The first rule about chess club is you don't talk about chess club, right? <laughs> <laughs> what it was <laughs> but um like i mean it certainly wasn't a thing at school or anything like that so yeah so just kind of just kind of moved away from it but like i suppose like i played cards with my friends but like nothing serious you know we'd be like we'd, we'd play poker but we didn't even know the rules like i mean it was all sorts of all sorts of crazy wild cards and stuff happening and um, never really played for any sort of major major money it was all pound coins and 50p pieces like it was very very small when we did play and then i started then the poker boom happened of course in the early 2000s and i started watching a lot like we we got like late night poker over here and what were you doing with your life tell me about tell me about you like you in 2003 you're about five years older than me so you know you're 25 26 around the poker boom what were you what was your career um had you always felt this connection with games ever since chess was a part of your life yeah pretty much like i was always i was very i was always very competitive um and as i know you've said previously yes that did translate into me. i was a bad loser <laughs> but um yeah i was always i just i always loved games i was never i was never a big sport like i liked I like watching sports, but I'm just not a very sporty person. Like I never really, I played a bit of football and stuff when I was a kid, but I was never very good. So I lost, lost interest pretty quick. Um, whereas games just kind of, they, they kind of spoke to me more because like that, I was always a pretty smart kid. Um, so they kind of, I could, I could figure out, I could figure out strategy quite well um and so that's i think that was that was the appeal so i suppose around about 2003 i was working in working in sales at that time um i used to drive a van god i'm trying to think what what particular thing i was selling at the time i sold i've sold so much over the years but um i was pretty i'm pretty sure i was selling like i was selling like tropicana orange juice at that point um and doesn't that just sell other... itself yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> uh, we've got other stuff on the van as well like i'd load up i'd load up the truck and i'd drive to the shops and they give me the order and i'd hand them i wasn't just taking orders and sending them in for someone else i was doing it all it was van sales as they as they call it so i was doing that um around that time and i think around that time i actually started to take and i'd always had a little bit of gambling I always had a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a gras, as we say, for horses. Ah, tell me, and tell me about that. What do you mean by the gamble? Give me a gamble story. 
Well, I, 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 I enjoy betting on horses. Um, but like pretty much everything I do, I don't just go in and pick a random name and, you know, oh, I like the colours of that jockey's silks. I had to, I have quite an addictive personality. <laughs> and when I get into something, I really get into it. And I, I mean, I'd say for about 12 months, I lived, ate and breathed um, horse racing statistics. I'd read every paper. I'd buy like two or three papers in the morning. I'd go off in my van. I'd do my, I'd do my deliveries and I'd stop for lunch and I'd go through every paper. Now, that's, on, that's not including the research I would have done the night before on the next day's declarations and as to what was happening. So that, and then I'd write out a list of bets that I was going to make for the day. And I did this for about 12 months. And I How did it work out? I did pretty well. I did. I, I actually did pretty well. I can remember one one um, one day. It was like I think it was like a Thursday. I was only after getting paid. I wasn't. I wasn't on big money, but it was okay. And the girlfriend that I was living with at the time rang me and she says, "Oh, the girls are going out Saturday night. Do you think there's a chance I, I can go out?" Like she wasn't actually working at the time. And I said, "Well, leave her with me, and we'll see." I went in. I went in. I went into the bookies, and I started out with ten euros on the first horse. And I walked out uh, I think two hours later with like 150 euros. And I was, and I rang her back and I said, I'm on the way home. Yeah, you can go out Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about betting on horses? I mean, is there an edge to be gained? I literally know nothing. I'm totally ignorant. Were you just like running very well due to the randomness of it? Or were you finding an edge? And was it more of the research that appealed to you? Or was it the gamble that appealed to you? It was more the research. And I, and I, and I do genuinely think there is an edge. Um, like there are, there is a reason why there are people who bet professionally on things like horse racing for a living. Look, there is, there's huge variance because like, I mean, things can go wrong, especially with, I know, I know jumps racing is, is not a big thing in the States, but in Ireland and the UK, um, jumps, jump racing is, massive and you what can is be, that you can have that's where the horses jump over fences they don't just run on flat ah so it's hurdling yes for horses exactly yeah so um so there's there's massive variance like i mean you can have a horse that's eight to one on and can absolutely hammer the field but if he falls out of fence that's it it's gone he's done it, right. it's game over and that's always a risk but i do i do think there is there is certainly a, an edge to be had if you put in the time and the research and there's a lot of reading in between the lines as well, I think for horse racing, sometimes you got to look for anomalies, you know, you got to look for the trainer that's brought one horse 400 miles to the north of England to race him and has got a pretty good jockey on his back. Now, he didn't only bring one horse up there to lose and he didn't book this jockey to lose. So that's a pretty good indicator that this horse is, if it doesn't win, it's probably, it's probably just unfortunate, you know, so, and it's, it, yeah. So you're, were you placing like bets widespread? Were you very selective and tactical about the wagers you placed? Yeah, very, I was very, I was very selective. Um, I had sort of, I'd have like some trainers, I would like, I mean, during the summer period, some trainers were better than others. Like, I mean, you'd have one particular trainer who was like, 
he was always nailed on for the summer months for jump racing because that's that's where his horses perform best. And like, even if you were betting on every single horse he ran, you were still going to turn a profit. You know, you just, it, you were never going to be a loser betting on him. You wouldn't be a massive winner, but like, I mean, look, you're only looking for a small edge here. And that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of tactics and strategy that I would use. And then sometimes you just, you just spot a horse. Someday, one day I can remember it was a Saturday. It was after a really good day. And I was looking at the, the horses for the next day. And I found one particular horse and he was like, he had finished second in his last four races. And I was looking and it was all, all everything was going against him on the, on the form in those races. And yet he still finished second. And he was like four to one. And, I, and he had a really, he had like the champion jockey, Tony McCoy riding him. And I was like, this, this thing has to win. There's no way this horse is not going to win. So went out, lumped on, absolutely strolled home at four to one. You know, it's just, sometimes you can just, sometimes you get, you feel it as well. Like, I mean, when you're, when you're doing enough research and it's, it's like playing cards. It's like when you're playing poker, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just know, and you can't really explain what you know, but it's based on intuition, based off, you know, a lot of knowledge as well. You know, there's some science involved. I feel like I'm gaining an insight into your soul right now and what drives you. And the, the question that is pretty obvious right now is why quit after 12 months? <laughs> oh, why, why do men quit anything in their lives? It's usually because the partner disagrees with what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Because I think, um, my girlfriend at the time, um, she actually worked, um, she had worked in a bookmakers and she had seen a lot of like horror stories, guys, guys going in with, you know, betting big and then going off and coming back and betting big. And one particular story, this guy was coming in and out all day, betting huge money. And when he was leaving at the end, he, he had lost all day. He'd lost like thousands and he dropped something when he was leaving at the end of the day and they picked it up and it was, uh, bank account book and he had literally withdrawn the whole all of his savings and just gambled it away and i think i think when you when you see things like that it's hard not to look at it from a negative perspective it's hard not to have that well look you know maybe you're just lucky or you know you can't you can't win forever you know you don't they don't maybe they not, don't necessarily see that you're actually putting in a vast amount of research and that you just that's just not going to happen to you because. To be fair, I like her side of it in mm. general, because I think that like looking at the numbers and the data, most people do not win lifetime um, betting sports or horses or anything like that. It, it's kind of an anomaly that shines through. And the reality is, you know, living in this world of even card playing, we're kind of at the edge all the time and we can go over the brink and that's just sort of part of the i guess excitement or allure and danger and risk that is inherent in this world that we that we live in so yeah i mean it it, it is a fine line between making money and being a degen and so anyway i, I do think that like it is commendable 
the effort, the research, and, you know, as it relates to poker, the strategy, the time spent just understanding how things work and how people think and what people are going to do. But even with poker, there's that stigma of, are you just a degenerate gambler or is there something else going on here? And, you know, that's the way that I typically have combated that is what I just tell people, yeah, I've been doing it for 17 years. And like that kind of wipes out any, any of the downside of them like, oh, well, 17 years is quite a long time at this point. So I guess you're doing something right, right? Yeah, you're, you're not living on the streets. You're not living out of a cardboard box. And you're not begging for money off people. So yeah, only for 16 for years of that. Yeah. <laughs> so you give up the you give up the ponies. And yeah. then what happens next? I know that like you were delivering selling your Tropicana, you give up the ponies and then eventually you find poker right at some point. Yeah, then I, I, I moved from, and I was always, what look at me, and I was always a little driven to, to chase, uh, chase, chase money. And I moved from selling orange juice to driving a taxi for a living, um, which was, at the time, a pretty lucrative endeavor until the bust. But we can, we can get to that in a few minutes. Sure. So, uh yeah, so I started driving a cab, and then I could be I could be busy at the weekends, like I would be doing long hours at the weekends. But during the week, it was a little bit quieter, and you know, I was making really good money. And all of a sudden, then like poker is just, and I'd been watching poker in the background at this stage, and kind of interesting. It like I mean, this 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 new this variant of hold'em that I've never heard of or never seen. What was the most interesting part of driving a cab besides the money? Just the people you got to meet from absolutely every walk of life. Like, I mean, you, you name a variety of person, I, chances are I've driven somewhere. And I've, I've it's just... Any memorable it, taxi rides? Far, <laughs> far too many. Far too many. Like, I've had... I've just had crazy stuff happen. Like I've I've picked up one night I picked up two girls and a guy uh, in the middle of Dublin and there was a big um, a big festival on um, at the time I think it was I think it was still Oxygen at the time which is uh, a festival that's no longer runs but I picked them up in the centre of the city this is a Friday night and they were going they were going home and they said oh we're going to Oxygen in the morning and actually can you bring us now and i was like oh. now this is oxygen is about let's say about it'll take you about 45 minutes to drive out of the city to get there it's a little bit out of the way but look it's it's worth the trip but we have to get ready first so i said okay so back up drop two of them off one of the other girls says all right you can go we can go to my house now drive up to her house she says well you better come in came in I sat down in her living room while she went up and had a shower and got dressed. Like, I didn't know these people from Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am, sitting in a house, watching TV, having a cup of tea, and this girl's upstairs having a shower. I'm like, are these people bonkers? Like, I could <laughs> be anybody. Yeah, well, what could possibly go wrong in a world where nobody exactly. has cell phones or instant communication? 
Exactly. Actually, they but, did um, back then. That was yeah. We did have so. cell phones. Yeah, we did have cell phones. <laughs> we Messed up the timeline for a second. Yeah, we didn't have smartphones, but we had cell phones. Yeah, yeah. We were still we were still on text. So uh, so yeah. So she comes down already. Right. Let's go back into the car. Picked up the other two. Drove them outside the city down to the down to this campsite into the into the car park. And just dropped them, dropped them off at like their friend's van that was in the car park where there was like eight people having a massive party, and they were begging me to stay. <laughs> like, oh, you have to stay, you have to stay. Come have a drink with us. I'm like, shit, I gotta go home. Like, <laughs> I would love to stay if I was single. I would love to stay. I have a girlfriend at home, and but yeah, just. Well, you would have been, if you would have stayed, you, you certainly would have been single afterwards, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I may have been living out of the back of my car at that stage. Yeah. So suffice to say that they trusted you for one reason or another. Um, obviously, I, I think that none of that would have happened had they not just felt uh, a sense of trust whether it's misguided or not, um, just in general, but to you specifically. So like, you know, you're driving the, driving a taxi, you're have meeting interesting people, having these experiences and now poker. Yeah. So there was a, there was a bar um, near where I lived and it was running a game every Monday night. Um, I think it was, it was like 50, 50 euro to enter. Now, at that stage, I knew nothing about structures or anything like that. Like looking back, the structures were absolutely horrendous. <laughs> 15 minute blinds. Like I think you started with like 50 big blinds and all oh, it was it was terrible. But Matt Matt Savage gonna hate me for saying this, but like just all tournament structures are awful because they're tournaments. <laughs> That's the <laughs> uh, Yeah, but it's about like at that stage, that was that was all I did. That was all I ever thought. I never, I never dreamed, never dawned on me to be playing cash. Um, so I went and I played, and I finished fourth, I think, um, out of like forty people. So I had my first cash. So that was it. I was hooked then, and I started playing around different, just small buying tournaments. Like there was like two or three casinos in Dublin city and uh, that ran like nightly tournaments and just started playing a variety of those like buy-ins up to, I think, I think my largest buy-in was like 60 or 70, 60 or 70 euros. Like at that stage, I had no idea about bankroll management or building a role or wanting to, to me, it was just playing. If I won, if I won money, great. I had money to spend. If I didn't, Ah, it was a good night's entertainment, you know. It was very, it was a very social thing. But I, but I just, I just loved it. I just fell in love with the game. I loved, what year uh, is this? This would have been actually two thousand and seven. Two thousand seven was because I was actually I was looking back at some of my because I actually kept a record of all the tournaments and buy-ins and stuff I played, and I actually I was looking back at them. Um, and yeah, two thousand and seven was the was the first one. How'd you do from the jump since you have the records? I, I, I did really well. I had, I played, I played 71 tournaments in total and I had a 35% ROI. There we go. Uh, I'm surprised you're not a, not a tournament 
guy after that that stretch. When you fell into poker and you started playing it, I assume that you noticed there was strategy and there were things going on. And so did that grab a hold of you at that time? Did you start doing any research as it related to improving your poker game? Yeah, pretty much pretty much straight away after like I think the first tournament I played was grand. It was it was in a bar. The second time I played then was in a casino and the standard went up then. Even though it was a small boy and it was all these like all these like 21 year old students you know hoodies and backpacks and stuff and all of us you know you were playing a 30 dollar tournament and you know there was there was three bet and check raise and i was like okay I, I i need to inquire further about this so of course of the time the the bible of the time for tournaments was harrington and holden so i bought harrington and holden one and two read them cover to cover several times and just went from there. Um, I was in a couple of online forums, but I never, I don't know, I just never felt, never found them, I never found them useful. I, I, I always thought there was just a lot of noise, even in, even in the smaller ones. Um, and, I, and, I, and I guess, like, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the biggest appeals of Greatness Village, is it that it doesn't have any of that noise. Um, I found the same as it relates to poker forums. Like I think my my perspective, the paradigm that I was at when I was looking at the forums was like I was a higher level player than most of the people on there. And what I would see were just massive agreements with the consensus or somebody that like the the people had declared a really good player. They would just give an opinion and then everybody just like latches onto that. And there's no like challenging. There's no like trying to look at different perspectives, trying to deconstruct this thing so that ever, you know, everybody can learn and be greater because of it. It was just like, let's shit on this person if they do something unconventional and agree with this person who we think is good. And I was like, actually, I was positive. I was my belief that I would maintain an edge in the game was reinforced by looking at forums, <laughs> just seeing how people were analyzing the game. It was like, oh, so like they're not growing at all. Cool. Like I'm just going to have an edge. And like I tried, I tried participating at various points, but like it just didn't, it didn't click with me. I couldn't, I couldn't find, get a foothold and it wasn't enjoyable. It was more like just the going through the mechanics of it. So yeah, for me, actually, my community has always been just the, grinders that have lived near me and speaking with them, having conversations with them, people that I trusted that I knew were beating the game at a high level that weren't afraid of the strategy discussion. And then back in 2015, when I had Enhance Your Edge, uh, I made a Skype group with my students. And that was another time that was like, there were some really, really, really high level players who were up and coming and just loved the game and i remember waking up in the morning and having like 200 skype messages on my phone in that group and i would read all of them and that was when i kind of realized like if you're going to put a community together this is the way to go about it and like nobody's like shitting on anybody everybody's suspect every opinion is suspect right and that's the way that it should be like i don't want to give an opinion in greatness village and have everybody agree with me i want to be I, you know, I want Coach Thomas to jump in there, throw his counter argument, and let's go to war and kind of like try to break each other's opinion because ultimately we're both going to be better for it. 
Absolutely. Like, I mean, look, nothing, nothing evolves or moves forward if opinions are not challenged. And that's like, I mean, that's, that's in any field. And especially in, in poker where strategy is constantly evolving. And what I was doing 14, 15 years ago, if you did it in a tournament now, like people are doing, people are laugh at you. Like they'd be looking at them. Does this guy step out of a time machine? Like, I mean, what's this about? For sure. Um, it's the nature of the game. So, all right, back to you. Uh, back to you. You read Harrington on Hold'em, cover to cover. You were studying. You played, what was it 71 tournaments or 73? 71 tournaments, yeah. 71. 71 tournaments. Over the, over the course of about 12, over the course of about 12 months. All right. So what happened at the end of the 71st tournament that led to you not playing in a 72nd tournament? Oh God, I can, you, you may, you may sense a team going on here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I had, um, I had since, I had since moved on and I was in a new relationship and yeah, again, the whole, you know, you're gambling, you know, this is, this is gambling. Now, to be fair, like there was an element of our financial situation had kind of changed like, like 2008, the world kind of turned on its head um, the ass was falling out of everything. I was still in the taxi game and business was, business was literally reduced to a snail's pace. Like, I mean, there was very little work during the week and um, you really had to grind hard Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I was working like 16 hour days and that was just, that was just to cover the bills. Like, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't taking home the, the, the really, the, crazy money that I'd been taking home previously. I didn't have all this discretionary income to spend. So look, there, there was an element of, you know, practicality as well as, you know, outside influence. But I think, look, it's like anything. I think if I, if I really, if I really wanted to, I would have found extra money to go and play cards. Um, but I, I sort of erred on the side of caution and said, well, look, you know, we gotta be, uh, we gotta be, you know, a bit more careful about money. We've got to watch what we're spending. Um, so yeah, so I just, I, I stepped away. I stepped away from poker and that was, that was it. Um, I, the only time then I'd say from 2008 until last year, I played poker like four or five times and four out of the, let's say it's five times, four of those times were in Vegas. So you were out of the game for I was out of the game. A I good was, I was decade plus. Yeah. I was I was done. I was I was as I said, anytime I went to Vegas, I'd play, I'd jump in a cash game and because like that, it's it's Vegas and I love I still like I still love the game. I always I always loved it. I'd still I'd still keep an eye on some of the, the news sites and stuff and I'd have an idea what was going on, but not not to the extent I would now, like, I mean, not the, the level of knowledge that I would have now, but I'd always keep an eye on it. And yeah, and that was, that was pretty much it. And then around about, I suppose it would be the end of 2019. And it was kind of funny. Party Poker were running and, and, and had done for several years, run a tournament, uh, a live tournament in one of the hotels in Dublin in January. And they'd done this for a few years, but this was the first, I think this was the first year it popped up on my radar 
and I was, I was just seeing advertising for it everywhere. Every time I turned around, I would see it like party proper live, party proper live. And I was like, there's something telling me to just go and play this. And, and I got that, I got that little, I got that urge to go and play. And I said, well, look, Jesus, it's a while since I've picked up a deck of cards or, or played any sort of cards. Um, maybe I should go and play a little online. And, and I had played a bit online previously when I was playing, but not much. I, I wasn't very good. I used to play like sit and goes and I'd, and I'd win like at small stakes, like two and five dollars. But of course, I'd run it up a bit and then want to jump in a twenty dollar sit and go or a fifty dollar sit and go. Automatically, I'd be gone bust. Like, again, no notion of bankroll management at all. Um, so I just, yeah, just online just didn't appeal to me. It just it just didn't hold me. But I jumped in line and jumped online anyway and started playing. And I noticed very, very quickly that the game had changed massively. It had changed absolutely. It was it, it was just it was just completely different. I was like, this is this is not the same at all. This is not the game that I left like 10 years ago. Um, online used to be easy. Well, the game had changed, right? What else had changed in your life? I know that you had a, got a new occupation, I assume, new relationship. Um, so tell me about like your life over that 12 years as far as it went as, you know, occupation change and all that. Yeah, so um, I went from, I, I eventually got out of driving, driving the cabs um, because like that, it was, it was just done. It was, it was done as a, as a, as a job. Um, and I had actually applied to join the prison service, but unfortunately, I had I had done the entrance exam, scored really high, and I was I would have been in the first batch to be called for an interview. But like that, then the gas fell out of the world, and there was a hiring freeze, so they put everything on hold. So I was basically waiting for this to come up, and I took a job and um, just literally to get out of taxi driving to be earning some sort of steady wage and try and get my life back together. I took a job selling um, cable, satellite TV, uh, Sky Television, standing in shopping malls um, at a little boot and trying to entice passersby to sign up for satellite television. I mean, that's everybody's favorite person. The, the person yeah. that just, <laughs> you're walking through the mall, minding your own business and they come up trying to chat. I'm That's a... <laughs> Yeah. Are you happy with your TV package? <laughs> Be happier uh, if you got the fuck away from me, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to see the movies. I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I was working. I was doing this. I was I was earning minimum wage. But I was but like the, the actual commission was not bad. Like I mean, like I mean, if you sold if you sold one package a day, it made it worthwhile. And I can talk. I'd sold before. You know, it's not exactly a hard sell once you get a person sort of half interested. The hardest part of it was they had these, these the way the way it was set up. We weren't actually working for the company. We were a third party company. So we had to phone these people through to actually to Sky themselves. So to get them signed up, they needed to have like all their bank account details and stuff like that with them. This was before everybody had their online banking on smartphones. So it just made it, well, you'd have a person hooked and then you'd say, okay, um, all you need to have with you is like 
Your dad went, oh, I don't have one of them. And it's like, I've been here for 20 minutes. And they'd be like, oh, it's all right. I'll sign up when I go home. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. First of all, no, you won't. Second of all, yeah. damn it. Um, like, I, I had a, there was a guy that worked, like, there was a guy who worked on the, the same stall on, on other days to me. And he had, like, friends who worked in shops. And he'd actually, he'd say, well, he'd say to the person, well, like, have you got the cash? And she'd go, yeah. And he'd call his friend over. And his friend, would, they'd give the cash, and his friend would use his card just to get the sale through. Not a bad, not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. Like, got to no, reduce the friendship. friction somehow. Yeah. He, he did pretty well, to be fair to him. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I was doing that for, like, I was doing that for about nine months. Um, and after about two, three months of it, um, the process for the prison service actually restarted. So I went through the interview process, medical, physical, and by the June of 2020, I got the call to say that I was to report to the training center. Um, wow, for... 2020. So this whole time. Oh, 2010. I... 2010. Oh, tw- you said 2020. I was like, I know. I'm ki- I, I was like, man, hard, Brad. I got confused. 2010. Yeah, I was like, 2020. <laughs> I was under the assumption you'd been in the prison service for quite a while. Um, yeah, and I have. Yeah, this is 2010. I don't know why I said 2020. It's 2010. Eh, whatever. Years are hard. Mm. Numbers are hard. Years so, are hard. Numbers are hard. Yeah. So you joined the prison service in 2010 and you worked there for a decade. And then that's when you started seeing. The party poker live buzz around everywhere and the poker bug effectively bit you again and this time it didn't really let go no it it, it took holes like i went and i played the event and i just i just really enjoyed it i just like i mean i busted out near the end of the first day but i just yeah i just i just felt that i, I just felt that urge it just really it just took hold again i'm like I, I, w- I was really disappointed with my exit hand and I was like, I should never have gone broke there. That was so stupid. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm hooked again. When's, when's the next one? And then I was actually, I was myself and Maeve were going on, we were going on holidays to New York at the end of the month. So I just sort of put everything on the back burner um, for, a li- for a few weeks before I went, you know, sort of inquiring further into where I could play these days. And then um, more or less, by the time we got back from New York, COVID was happening. It was, it was start, it was kind of in its infancy while we were there. There was a few people wearing masks and we were like, what are these people at? Like, I mean, what, what is going on? Fast forward a couple of months and, and we're all wearing masks and the whole country, the whole world is locked down. Um, so then I'm at home on my days off, nowhere to go. Nothing to do, um, and I assume, so of course, I assume prison still got to run during COVID, so uh, you still got to work. Prison, the pr- prison still running. <laughs> yeah, prison doesn't prison doesn't suffer anything. Twenty four yeah. seven, three six five. Um, but like that, I've all this. Like I mean, I get I got a lot of time off. Um, the way my roster works, I I do have a lot of downtime, and if I can't go out visiting friends, and I can't visit family, and I can't, um, I can't play golf. Like, what am I going to do? Well, I guess poker. So into poker, I, I 
started delving a bit deeper into poker. I started off, I suppose when I started back, it was like I started playing tournaments and then then it was like online tournaments on board. Like, I mean, let's let's be straight about it. Sitting there, I can remember playing like a $5 deep stack tournament. Um, the thing went for like eight and a half hours and I finished third and I, won, I think I won like $80 and I said, this is just not worth, this is just not <laughs> worth my time. As much as I love the game, this is just not worth the effort. Right. This is not so fun. So no, it's too long. It's too drawn out. Um, I, I, I think I need to go down. I think I need to play cash games. Um, it suits my lifestyle better. I can jump in and out. I can play for a couple of hours at a time. I can go off if I have to do something. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to just block off just this massive portion of your day and say, well, look, I got to set aside nine or 10 hours here in case I run deep. You just walk away whenever you want. Um, so it was, it was the practicality as much as anything that sort of enticed me into playing cash. And I realized like that I started playing cash game. I started off like five cents, 10 cents, realized pretty quick that I just hadn't got a clue what I was doing, that I was lost. And at this stage, I was still completely unaware. This is how new I was back into poker. I was completely unaware of this absolutely mega, um, industry that was poker training <laughs> all these different training sites like i mean the last time i had seen anyone offering coaching was on like a forum and they were charging like ridiculous money for one-to-one -one coaching and it was like oh, i don't think i'm going down that road at the moment but like surely there's got to be something better at this stage so i typed in poker coaching into google and uh mr little site came up first so uh that's a pretty good search term he's got that yeah. got locked down poker coaching. Absolutely. So he got my business and dived into, dived into the strategy in there and, and started to make a little bit of headway and started moving up a bit, was moved up to 10 cents, 25 cents, eventually got up to 50 NL. And I think, I think I kind of looked boxed my way there. To be fair, I was, I was okay, and I was probably better than a lot of players out there. But I just went on this sick run from where I had like I had like five hundred dollars in my bankroll to nearly two k, and it was like by the time I got there, I didn't even realize how I got, I got there. You know, it was just it was a bit insane. So as quick as I got there, it all came it all fell apart. <laughs> and I, I lost most of it. Yeah. <laughs> As these stories tend to go, as yeah, as great as the heater is, sometimes you run out of gasoline and then you plummet right back down to the earth. Exactly, and like it was around this time, I was um, I was in a couple of Discord groups, and you know, I was trying to you know trying to sort of find find my tribe, as it were, um, find you know a group of people that kind of like minded that you know wanted to learn, were playing cash and. What's, that I could relate to. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like you stumbled into Greatness Village before I started doing cash game stuff with Jonathan Little. Is that the case or did you? Yes. Yeah. That is the case. Did, so you yeah. found me that separately from that. Yeah, I so did. What led to you discovering Greatness Village? That's, that's a good question. 
So I was listening, like at that stage, I was so obsessed with poker. I was listening to like absolutely every podcast that I could find. Great, it like we had the lockdown and the summer summer days when I wasn't sitting playing cards. I was lying out the back garden with my headphones in, listening to podcasts. I listened to every episode you've done. I listened to all the episodes of the Chip Race and basically anything I could get my hands on. Um, and I think it was around that time you were getting people to you were trying to get people to sign up um, for PPH you know, for, probably for news. Yeah. I think, you know, I think uh, if I remember, it was, you know, you can help out this plucky little podcast by signing, I think was your. Uh, My opt in page. Yeah, it's yeah. The, for the email newsletter. Basically, if you know much about digital marketing, this was not the greatest landing page ever created. I think it still exists in the same exact form as before to join the newsletter. But basically, what I was trying to do was get folks that loved CPG to get more involved in the community um, to help the business grow. And so you found the VIP newsletter page, you hopped in and PPH for the listener stands for Poker Power Hour. And for for a year and a half, maybe longer, Poker Power Hour was a public endeavor where just anybody on the newsletter and anybody in Greatness Village could join. Since then, it's turned into a more private affair for the folks that have supported and invested in Chasing Poker Greatness courses. But you just popped in there one night. I, As weird as it sounds, I've done you know probably close to 100 free ones. I specifically remember the night that you first jumped in there because of a hand that you played. So yeah, tell me about you hopping into that first PPH and what that was like. It was funny because I was actually, I, I was actually watching, I had stayed up to watch um, Matt Affleck was doing a live webinar on poker coaching. And he was kind of at the end of it. It was, he was just doing a few questions. At the, I can't even remember what the webinar was on. Um, and all of a sudden I got an email alert for PPH. And I was like, okay, hang on. I, I, I've, heard, I've heard him talking about this. I, I, I wonder what this is about. So in I jumped and of course you greeted me and, and I just, it just so happened that you were uh, you were looking for someone to share a hand, and you were like, "Oh, have you got a hand to share?" And I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> "Do I? Oh dear! <laughs> Talk about putting me on the spot here." <laughs> you baptized by fire, sir. You you joined our yeah. joined our little tribe. You you got to join full blast. Yeah. So I I had had this. I obviously I had a hand that I had played either that day or the day previously that I was a bit bummed about where I had raised queens on the button, uh, <laughs> the small blind three bet, and I flatted. And then I think this that is probably the most memorable part of uh, <laughs> the hand for either of us, to be fair. <laughs> and then on went a 10-minute discussion of why you shouldn't do that and you should be four betting queens. Yeah, to be fair, the ranges I was using at the time had queens as a flat there, but look, you know. Doesn't make it right. Um, <laughs> but that was your entry into PPH, and like that was since, my entry. Since then, I can't remember you missing very many, if any. I've I think I've missed one because I was uh, I was working nights, and it just so ha- and and you know how crazy it was. I was I had the link for your Zoom meeting, and I had the link 
for Thomas's Zoom meet because you were fluctuating between the two. And what happened that week? That was the only ever week you used John Chai's meeting room. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even, you don't know the half of it. It took me probably three months just to convince John to upgrade his Zoom to the one that would last forever and didn't just expire after 45 minutes. It's like 15 bucks a month. Um, both Thomas and John, like I, man, talk about selling them on like, guys, just come on. Like, let's not end PPH at 45 minutes. It's so that you got to fire it back up and inv invite everybody in. Let's invest the $15. Um, but yeah, you that's, can record all the meetings to the cloud and stuff. You don't have to, you don't have to stuff up your, your own hard drive with the, with your recordings. Yeah. For, uh, uh, don't even get me started. But anyway. <laughs> In a world where a fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do, one man Coach Brad Wilson. has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds. Nuffle. Available now. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Nuffle. Rated R. 100 NL player, former Sergeant Elijah Shears. Before I got Nuffle, I had run into a lot of dock bets. And I think once you play a certain amount of hands, you know there's something wrong with our opponent's strategies, but you don't know how to play to maximize CP against it. And it's very frustrating. I looked at the document and I couldn't believe that I paid money for it. I actually doubted that it could provide value because it was so brief. But since then, it's repaid me just over and over and over again. And it's one of the most consistent money makers built into my strategy that sheds light on just how bad your opponents are. And it took me 20 minutes to perfect it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm speechless. It's just that good. The simplicity of it is part of it being a masterpiece. <laughs> Nuffle. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses. Obviously, you, you enjoyed it because you kept coming back. And so what did you enjoy the most about PPH and then also the village itself? I just I just love I just love the atmosphere Um, like that. I was welcomed in baptism of fire. But like it wasn't like anyone was nobody was it was all constructive. Everything was constructive. Like there was nobody there was nobody shouting out. Oh, you're obviously terrible. You know, that's a ridiculous player. You know, it was just no. This is what this is what we do, and you know, there's a bit of a laugh and a joke about it, and you know, it's it was just all it was just all very welcoming. You know, I just kind of I felt it, I felt very at ease, even though I was placed in the spot after like five ten minutes. I just I felt like I I love the vibe. The vibe it just felt right, and I said, okay, maybe this is maybe this is where I belong. Maybe this is maybe this is a uh, a place that I want to stick around a bit more. Yeah, um, we kick those those primitive folks out that come in and cause a ruckus. Um, they get <laughs> they get kicked right out of the village, or they get put in put in their place very quickly. Like yeah. I, I, that's that's one of the things that I love the most is like I don't even have to be on. Like they'll get just whipped into shape very very quickly, and they'll either leave or do better moving forward. Like just like I've never seen I've never seen a group ever where 
there's just not a litany of oh my god bad beat story after bad beat story like i mean even when somebody does show a bad beat story it's like i know this is a bad beat but it's actually quite funny and they just show it and it's like everyone has a laugh over it and that's it it's not somebody feeling sorry for themselves because they got out drawn on the river for yeah because a massive we're, pop. we're pretty experienced and we've all been through every single type of downswing we've all experienced every single type of bad beat that you can ever experience so it's just old news for for the folks in the village so what happened next after you stumbled into pph you enjoyed it um you butchered your queens and we let you know about it um what was the next step you took so i think especially after that it was it was perfectly obvious to me that i needed i needed more help that i was that i had got so far what looking at this this training content online but i needed i needed more I, I needed more and it was around that time that you you actually advertised the first elite program and I, I i wasn't sure i was i was like maybe this might be something that 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 could help you know i i wasn't sure but you also I, went through boot camp too first right and uh, no no no. Oh, so elite was first. Uh, elite was first, yeah. Okay. So, so went in and it was just like, I, I, I'll never forget that month. That was just crazy. I was playing like, I was playing Zoom tables and just doing like ridiculous volume. I think I played like 70,000 hands that month and like just about one. Like, I mean, it was, I had the, the standard three pronged graph, like one going up one in the middle and one going down. I remember it now because at the end of elite, that was when like your red line cratered to the center of the earth. And then the next month was yeah. boot camp, And that was when things started turning around. I, I will say that like you did motivate and inspire John in that first iteration of elites, because he's like, dude, Peter's got a job and like, he's playing like three times the volume as me. Like what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> um, to be fair, like you were playing zoom and he didn't, you yeah. didn't play Zoom, which is obviously going to allow you to crank out much more volume. But what did you love so much about the Elite program? And for the podcast listener, um, this is a program that I run twice a year, and it's actually going this month, and I'm not going to run it again until January of next year. So it's closed. But basically, the the premise is that it's performance and mental game upgrade and volume upgrade. So it's just looking at the mental feedback loops and also getting people on the right path to taking care of their mind, their body, their spirit, so that they can raise their level of performance at the tables. And let me go back to my question, your experience <laughs> in elites that first month. Yeah. So I think it was just, it was just, um, it was a fantastic overall experience for me personally um not just from a poker perspective it it really actually i think it helped me kind of shine a light on you know just wanting to live sort of better you know like make little changes just just to just to make more time for things just to be a bit more present with the things i was doing you know um valuing the things that were important to me. It's it's funny, like a, a program designed to help you increase volume is suddenly making you take a look at all aspects of your life. What it really did, it, it was a- That's a dirty really, little secret of elites. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's sold as volume and performance, but it's kind of something else 
once you get inside. Yeah. Well, it just, yeah, it just really, um, and like, like that, because it was just kind of me and John going through it, it's like, and like, obviously, the meetings then with you and watching each other's videos and stuff, it was, um, it just really developed this lovely little bond. You know, it was just this, this real sort of um, connection. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're, you're cranking out volume and you're, you're posting your, your feelings every day for people to watch and, and, and hear what you're going through. It's, it, it, it's going to connect you to people, you know? So that's, it just, yeah, it was just a fantastic month. And I think then at the end of it, I can remember like we were having our last meeting and you were actually, you said to me like, well, where do you go from here now? You know, what's your, what's your next step? And I think, at that point, it became, I think it was, it was pretty obvious to the two of us that I needed a lot more help. Um, and the first step was pre-flop boot camp. Right. And which I, was kicking off a few days later. Yeah. And you were playing 25 and L at that time and you had broken even, just about broken even for the month, maybe won a little bit, but you did hit your Very volume goals. Amount. Yeah. You hit your volume goals. You made your video submission every single day on point. Um, just, uh, you know prototypical person that goes through elites you just achieved did everything that you set out to do and you know I, I i do remember specifically your testimonial video that i don't think went live anywhere um it was saved on my computer for a while but you made the statement that elites was one of the best things that you had done in your life and that just will always stick with me as just something that I, i'm proud of that like man, an impact was made that month with you. And that, that is yeah. just something that like I value heavily. Um, so thank you for those kind words. And uh, oh. so you hopped into bootcamp. Um, hopped yeah, into bootcamp so the next month. Hopped into bootcamp and that was just, that was just the start of, that was the start of the real change. You know, like I think like jumping into, jumping into PPH was the, was you know sort of the, the the ignition and elites was the spark and then preflop boot camp was just that was the that was the combustion point that was when things started to really take off um straight away i noticed i was things just got easier as a, as i was playing because my ranges were far more optimal i wasn't finding myself in as many tricky positions I quit playing Zoom as well. I moved from Zoom tables to back to rank tables. And all of a sudden then, by the end of the month, I had like first month out of the gate after boot camp, I had just, I had a graph that just went up and that was it. And a, and a, a red line that was like more or less straight in the middle, um, which was just a massive, it was just a sea change from the, from the previous month. I was just, I was a lot more, I was a lot more confident in what I was doing and yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty spectacular turnaround. I think, um, when I, when I compared the two graphs, it was like, I, I, I actually couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the difference. And I'm always like very, I'm always hesitant to take credit for these type of turnarounds because I know that you did the work and you invest the energy and it's on you to perform and execute, right? So a large amount of the credit goes to you, but bootcamp did 
bring about some changes in your graph specifically. So it's very obvious passes the eye test. Um, so then after boot camp, you know, you're playing, I believe 25 and L in elite, you go through boot camp, you have a winning month. And then since then, I'm pretty sure you've invested into all the CPG courses at this point, right? Yeah, I've pretty much anything you anything you've churned out since then, I've purchased. I have them all, and then I've obviously I've done some one-to-one -one coaching with Thomas as well. Um, That's not very obvious to me because Thomas Thomas hasn't been able to speak this year, so I have no idea what's going on in his like <laughs> coaching life. Um, I assume. Well, to be fair, I haven't spoken to him since January either. We just communicate through. It's all through. It's all through text. <laughs> I'll yeah. send him a video and he'll send me like two or three pages of notes. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's... I didn't know what his process was these days since yeah. he can't can't yeah. verbal, verbalize very much. Hopefully yeah, that's just... hopefully it's gonna get resolved relatively quickly and we'll have some return of Terminator Thomas here on CPG. But yeah, yeah. so you, you got coaching with Thomas um and invested in CPG products, and then I guess what happened in your career moving forward from that. It just it it just took off like a rocket. Then um, I started moving up to fifty and L. Um, went played fifty and L for a little while. Jumped into one hundred and L. I didn't spend long there at all. And now I'm playing two hundred and L, which is where I've landed. I've been playing for the past. I think I'm nearly three months playing at two hundred and L. Yeah, it's it's about three months now. What about um, your results at 200? Um, they have been pretty good. Um, first, first few weeks when I jumped in were shocking. Um, I just way overcomplicated everything. I saw the jump as being a lot more than it actually was. I completely left. I think I completely left behind the strategy that it got me there for, in a lot of situations. Um, and then I, I think I posted a hand in one of the, the sections in the Slack group. And it was you that said to me, like, you know, just simplify things down. You know, I was talking about bluffing with a hand and he was just, you know, bluff with the hands that want to bluff, call with the hands that want to call, keep it simple. And it just, that was just like, it just like was like a trigger. And I, I just immediately got, Jesus, I have been way overcomplicating this stuff for the past two weeks. I've just yeah, been making everything unnecessarily complex. You're trying to overperform. You're trying to yeah. be perfect. You're trying to like not make any mistakes and you're not loose and just playing in the way that you know how to play. And you're going to underperform when you just are trying to make every single decision absolutely perfect. And you're afraid of like any massive downside because like that fear leads to you under bluffing, that fear leads to you overfolding, just leads to strategic poker mistakes. And now how do you think about poker? I guess this is a, another question that's like pre, pre like CPG bootcamp and pre all the courses, like how do you think about poker these days that you find different than you previous thought about the game? Um, I suppose I'm just, when I'm thinking about everything, I, I'm definitely thinking a lot deeper than I was previously. Like, I mean, I suppose when I first started, like, I mean, everything was kind of, you know, 
What do you attribute that to? Um, my understanding of why things happen. You know, like I mean, that's like I mean, that's an important thing to realize about pre-flop boot camp for anyone that that doesn't get it. Like, it's not just learning ranges; it's learning why we play the hands we play in the way we play them. And I think that was that was a catalyst for helping me to think on a different level. You know, because all of a sudden now I'm like, well, I never really thought about it in those terms. That like, okay, I'd say right, well, this is a good hand to use in this situation. This is a good hand to three bet bluff with, but the why, and then, and I think that just that just sparked this constant why after that, and I wanted to know more. I always wanted to know more about why I was doing a certain, why was this happening, why is this a, why is this hand a good call, why is this not a good call? You know, it's I inadvertently it, tapped into the the horse racing Peter of the mid two thousands. Yes, absolutely. Just this incessant need and want to know more. And like that, like I, I can't remember who tweeted it the other day. Um, but I, I think it was a female poker player and she tweeted that um the more I the more I learn, the more I, I I find out about the game, the more I realize I have way more to learn. It's like the deeper you go, the deeper the rabbit hole actually goes. Yeah, imagine it's, how I uh, feel. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I I learn more and more and I just like keep keep moving down the depth and the game just keeps growing exponentially in complexity no matter what I do and that's just it's never going to be done for me like that's sort of I have to resign myself that I'm not ever going to know everything about the game and that's okay but there's beauty in knowing that like those ecosystems down in the depths that you can't see that are pitch black, they exist. And there, there are things happening down there that like, I'm not aware of. And that's just kind of exciting for me. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and that's, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I mean, I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm even going now and spots that I thought I was pretty confident in. I'm going back and kind of almost relearning some of them now because I'm like, that just my approach was inefficient. Sure. What I was doing, you know, and that's I'm re-looking at them and sort of and that's and that's that's the approach I'm taking now. It's just a lot more it's a lot more targeted, it's a lot more deliberate than it was. Like, I mean, I used to have a very, you know, it was a very slapdash approach to study. Like I'd look at a few hands or I might watch a webinar or something, but now I, I have much more of a system now with with how I review my hands. What I what I want to achieve. Well, tell me week. about the system, Pete. Let's tell me about your process for improving your own game on a regular basis. Um, well, I, one thing that I've one thing that I've, I've I've looked at is, and one thing that I've been doing is I'll kind of pick an area that I'm that I feel I'm particularly weak in, and try and focus. Like I mean, it could be I'm not check raising flops enough. So right this week, I'm going to focus on getting more check raises in on the flop and looking, you know, going through my hands, seeing where I could be making, you know, where I could be raising, going through, running sims, going through pile, looking at what 
Pio says I should be doing and then probably doing the exact opposite because nobody <laughs> plays like that. <laughs> well, you also you also have the benefit of like seeing if it jives with some of the mass data work that we've done. And, and I think that's like to me that it's the only logical way to like learn and improve is taking into consideration what human beings and the population is doing and then comparing that to some solver outputs and trying to figure out like if i'm going to check raise here right let's get granular and precise about it what boards do i want to check raise on what specific player profiles do i want to check raise against what sizes do i want to check raise against and then like instead of just a broad I'm going to start check raising more, right? Like these sort yeah. of oversimplifications get people in so much trouble. Um, just like, ah, I need to check raise more. And then it's like, cool. So like, there's no precision, there's no specificity. You're just doing it across the board. And like, that's just not going to work out, right? Poker demands specificity. It demands precision. And until you sort of put your boots on and get there and look at everything very granularly, you're not going to gain precision. And, and that's just... It's something that I combat as a coach with all my guys, uh, pretty much no matter the level of person that I'm training, this need to oversimplify is like something that I just have to stamp out over and over and over and over again. And I actually don't even know why I, what's interesting is like, I, I oversimplify in some of my courses, right? And I'm very upfront that like, yeah, we're gonna classify all flop textures into seven, there's gonna be some oversimplifications, right? Because yeah. there's so many different types. But I think historically too, I've just constructed in such a way that I wanted to know the details. Like I think I'm just naturally a detail-oriented person. And so I haven't dealt with like the oversimplification problem that like lots of people just struggle with time and time again. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like I mean, like I mean, at the end of the day, where where we we do try and simplify certain things within the game to make things easier to, to to navigate but there are things there are some things you just can't that it, it's a complex game it's it's a complex strategy game and there are things that you're just not going to be able to simplify uh, and you know what's the saddest part about this for me or the most exhausting part is that like even as it relates to my courses and the strategies that i put out there in the world and give you guys I'm constantly iterating and upgrading my own ability to construct strategies and learn things and tie things together, which basically means that like, I feel this overwhelming desire and need to upgrade past courses with like better methodology over time. And I think that that's just, again, it's just how I'm constructed. I can't get away from it. Um, what I, the one thing that I've had to kind of rein myself in on is like, I will circle back to these things. I will do them. I will redo them better than they are right now. But first I need to get out strategy material for spots that are previously just, you know, voids, just blackness yeah. on the game tree. Because I think ultimately that's more important getting that out there first. But yeah, I do have this need of like, man, I got to go back in and add in the feeding frenzy out of position strategies. I need to upgrade fish in a barrel. I need to upgrade preflop bootcamp more in line with like data. And can I start building out ranges versus specific profiles so that we can like target fish, like over three bet versus fish in these specific spots. Like all of this is like in my rear, like it, I see it in my future, right? But I can only do one thing at a time. But I think that's sort of what makes the game fun for me. It's what makes 
course creation and strategy creation fun is like, no matter how good I was at it a year ago, I'm going to be better at it next year. And that's just going to lead me to upgrading all these things for you guys so that hopefully the strategies remain current and modern and money printing machines. I think like, I mean, I think, I think probably the best thing about your strategies is like, it's targeting that group of players who are not going to upgrade. Like, as you've said to me before, once they upgrade, they're no longer in that bracket. Yeah, like they, they, you don't they, see them as a fish, no longer, right? You don't see them as a fish. It no longer applies to them anymore. So you just move on to somebody else. So, you know, I think while, while you want, like, I mean, you want to upgrade, like speaking from a customer's point of view, I'd rather have something new <laughs> that, you know, because like, I mean, we've got, a, I've got a strategy. Like, I mean, I've got, I've got oceans of strategies that work brilliantly and they're fantastic. And yeah, I'd love something new. Um, but that's, you know, that's from, a, that's from a customer perspective, you know, that's from a player point of view. Hey, but from I, a business perspective, see... new things make more money than upgrading an exactly. old thing too. So exactly, exactly. Um, and like, if you look at it for, too, from the perspective, like, I mean, your methodology has got better. So like, I mean, let's say you did, let's say your next course was, for example, three bet pots, your methodology for putting that together will be a lot sounder than it was for putting together one of your earlier courses. So that's not going to need an upgrade anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, like fish in a barrel was sort of the first MDA one, and then it was Nuffle and then feeding frenzy. And I'll say that like building out the templates and figuring out how to put the pieces together was probably the most overwhelming part. And now I know how to put it together. I know exactly what to analyze. I know exactly what I'm looking for in the game tree. So all that part, all those parts will be easier. And yeah, three bets are what's coming next. Um, that's just the next obvious spot that that is coming, you know, fishing with dynamite, um, defending versus flop C bets from fish. That one, that one I'm actually proud of. It's just a lower frequency spot than the others, but I still think the strategy is like really good and high level and makes money and is pretty much better than most things that anybody's out there deploying intuitively because it's not a very intuitive strategy. No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, it's definitely not one. That's one thing I will test to. It's definitely not, and it it takes a bit of remembering. It, it takes remembering to, to actually do it because it's so unintuitive. Yeah, it does for, work. for sure. Um, yeah, and I actually forget sometimes. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> oops. Um, so you're playing 200 and L. You went through the original elites. You're in elites right now. What's the, the most unexpected thing that's come from this journey through cash game poker? I suppose probably is how much it is, how much is it's helped me as a person where I suppose like my resiliency, like playing cash game is like, I mean, look, tournament players go down, go through big down patches and stuff like that. But I think the day to day swings, of playing cash, you you really have to be mentally quite tough because like you could sit there playing your absolute best and still walk away four or five buy-ins down. Like I mean, that's it's not fun. Um, and if that's happening over a course of several days or even a couple of weeks, and you get long break-even stretches, which is just part of the game. And I, and I certainly, I certainly have grown a lot tougher and a lot better 
at dealing with those downswings than I was. Like, I mean, when I first started, like, if I went on a downswing, oh, I was, I was tilting, I was tearing my hair out, I was spewing money all over the place. Oh, it's horrendous. Now it's just like, it's not quite shrug your shoulders, but there, it's a lot of it is just, you know, let's, we'll move on to the next day. You know, today was bad, tomorrow could be better. Um, what does resilience then, mean to you? That increased resilience that carries over to, you know, the real world too? Just being able to deal with the general highs and lows of life. You know, like, I mean, I've spent the last year and a bit listening to people complain about COVID and being locked in their houses and this, that, and there. It's like, oh my God, stop complaining. You know, you have, you're not sick. You have your health. You know, this, you know, you've so much, so many good things going for you. And it's, it's just being able to deal with those natural ebbs and flows of life that happen all the time. Like, I mean, right at the start of COVID, um, my mom passed away. We didn't have a proper time as a family to grieve together. I actually haven't, believe it or not, I actually haven't seen, I haven't been able to meet up with uh, my sisters since just after that funeral. I haven't actually seen most of my family in almost a year. And it's like, it's just, that's, it's just life, you know, that's, it's just unfortunate. That's just the way it's, that's just the way it happens. Um, but yeah, and it's just, it's maybe better able to deal with things like this, you know, th to be able to deal with the fact that you can't have everything you want right now, or, you know, like, I mean, this is, things aren't going your way. You know, okay, they're not going your way. Like, let's, let's work around it. Let's, let's deal with the problem. Let's, let's face it. Let's not, you know, just throw our toys out of the pram and, you know, bury our head in the sand and, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me that this is the perspective that matters. I think it's meaningful. I think that it's the right perspective to have in life because as our graphs go up and down, life also ebbs and flows and goes up and down as well. And we just have to deal with it. And before the listener, you know, comes away from, comes away with the opinion of, uh, we're just kind of like robots in the elite and we're just like hammering out the emotions, I guess, talk, speak a little bit to, you know, some, the things we talk about in the elite program in optimization sessions, as it relates to like our emotions and just how, you know, we deal with things collectively that are emotional. Like, I mean, like I suppose taken, taken for an example, when we had our optimization session last week, I was in, I was going through a bit of a downswing and I wasn't feeling very confident about my game and, it was just, it, it was kind of, it was, it was taking a bit of a toll. Like, I mean, I was, I wasn't confident in what I was, what I was doing. And we got into this discussion about, you know, uncertainty and whether it was just, whether I was uncertain with myself or was I uncertain with other things or was it just that I had some knowledge deficits? Um, and, I, and we got into that and we, we, we kind of drilled that down. Um, and then when we're like, I mean, on a daily basis, when we're, when we're posting our accountability videos, like, I mean, every, every emotion, all their, any feedback loops, anything that's running through our heads when we're playing, we're, we're talking about it and we're, we're putting it out there. And then given that as like, I mean, that's all, that's all food then for thought to be, to be worked at when we, when we sit down for our optimization sessions and like the way it's, the way it's kind of working now with the group we have now, which I think is fantastic. It's like almost every day when people post, 
it's like one big optimization session because everybody's everybody's jumping in everybody's helping each other out everybody's kind of well look I've, i i know where you're coming from with this problem i've been down that road this is where i went and it's just it's fantastic it's just a it's an amazing collaborative effort in helping each other you know push through our volume goals and dealing with those emotions the highs and the lows of 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 the of the game you know yeah that last part dealing with emotions you know i think that's key it's not burying them it's not pretending they don't exist it's honoring them and as i have said more times than i can count in the elite program the only way out is through and so that's what we have to do and it sometimes it may be uncomfortable it may be difficult but like when you start burying your emotions and you never you never confront them you never allow yourself to feel the emotions that are building up you never look at yourself and are compassionate for the way that you feel you never say it's okay right it's okay to feel like shit. it's okay to feel uncertain it's okay to feel confused it's okay to feel um, beaten down it's okay to feel like a failure that's okay we're gonna feel this right and then we're going to go through it and we're going to learn and grow and be better prepared for the next inevitable existential emotional breakdown that we have as poker players because as the psychopaths that we are we chose this game that will break you down <laughs> emotionally on a daily basis for a living and one of the sort of unsung benefits to this path is that you you do get better you must get better at dealing with your emotions on a day-to-day -day basis because if you don't you go broke and that's just the reality of the situation you either go broke or you're like a mediocre poker player that puts in minimal volume and is just a basket case all month so yeah just wanted to sort of uh clue the listener in that like we do deal with our emotions we're not burying them um, and that to me is what ultimately does create resiliency and Peter, it's been great having you on. Uh, it's been, you know, a pleasure and honor just getting to know you and seeing your progression throughout the last year too, right? Like from 25 and L to 200 and L I was going to speak on it before I forgot, but that's another thing that we do in the village is when a player's not pushing themselves and sort of playing under their skill level, we will hammer them to move up stakes like yo you're playing too small your bankroll is too big you've got too much skill move up like we we don't accept complacency because like ultimately we want people to realize their full potential and you can't do that if you just sit and play the micro stakes all day long with the big bankroll and like you're not taking enough risk you're not pushing yourself you're not finding out what you're made of so anyway yeah i know that like thomas was a big very instrumental in pushing you to move up to 100, move up to 200, right? Oh, Thomas just, Thomas was just hammering me from like, I think from almost the outset, you gotta play bigger, you gotta play bigger, you gotta play bigger. Like I am a bit of a, I am a bit of a bankroll knit and I thought like, if I'm not properly rolled when I'm moving up or at least kind of halfway there, two quarters of the way there, I don't feel like I perform as well as if I'm, I, I'm properly rolled. But yeah, he just just consistently like I mean, move up, move up. I'll buy your action, you know. Like I mean, he was just he was just get your ass up there because you're just you know you're way too good to be playing at this level. Um, and look, he was right to be fair, and I knew he was right, and I it was just I don't know. I I think there was a I think there was a little bit of you're scared. Sort of, yeah, there was, like that's, there was that's the reality. You're scared. Yeah, like I mean, it's I think and. 
I think you like I've heard you talk about it before, and it's I've always kind of if you if you never try because like I mean the fear of as soon as you try it if it doesn't work well then you have to admit you know you've that you failed whereas if you never try you never know so and I suppose there probably was a little element of that holding me back um but I think I think one thing this last 12 months has taught me is that I'm I I don't think I'll ever I don't think I'd ever be held back like that again um like as soon as I started playing 200 my mind was already thinking ahead to well, when I have the role, I need to be thinking in terms of playing at 500, you know, and so on. Like my initial, I think my initial, when we first set our goals out in elite, in the elite program, and the first one, my my main goal was to get to 200 and L. Um, well, your main goal was to make $30,000 a year. Yeah. That, that was yeah. the driving force, right? Yeah. To make an extra, if I could make an extra 30K a year on the side. Um, and I think... I think to play 200 and L was going to be the optimum way to to, to get there. Um, now that I'm here, it's like okay, this this is just not enough for me anymore. <laughs> I need more. Um, you've realized I'm not that be stopped. Yeah, you've realized that your upper limits are beyond what you had previously considered, and that's a it's a beautiful thing. And I want to yeah. say too that like we do press people to move up stakes, but in a responsible way, we never press anybody that's not ready. They can't handle it. No. It's not, not a winning player. Um, the irony is that like most of the time it's easier to believe in other people objectively than it is yourself. Because like we, we see the truth, um, outside of any emotion or self-limiting belief of our players. And so we recognize like, yo, you're ready to move up. Let's go. And Pete, it, again, it's been great having you. Uh, I guess we'll leave here with one final question. We'll do the billboard question. If you could erect a billboard that every poker player has got to drive past either on the way to the casino or maybe just in their homes on the way to the computer these days, <laughs> since everybody's locked in, what would your billboard say? Be kind to yourself. Because I think if, if you're, if you're kind to yourself, it's going to naturally stretch out. You'll, you'll be kind to other people, but I think first and foremost, People need to be kinder to themselves. I think, especially as poker players, we have a tendency at times to be way too hard on ourselves. Um, it can drive sort of negative thought spirals and stuff. I think just being, just, just remembering, you know, give yourself a little love. Absolutely. I think and that's important. It's of the utmost importance. Even if you're a lifetime losing poker player, you never gain anything from the game. If you learn how to love yourself, the carryover of that is something that just can't be understated. And uh, Pete, it's been great having you. I love you, my friend. And we'll see, I'll see you soon at the next PPH. Thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.